Oh, Savior, now we come to your word, and so we we ask for your blessing, that we might understand it, apply it, use it, that it might do its work as a sword to cut things away that need to be cut away, that it might do its work of bringing life where things are dead. Would you help us this morning? as we attend to it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm going to thank you, Lawrence Welk, for that great worship. It was very good. We're um, in moving towards uh, Easter. We're in the life of Peter. And so um, we want to look at some of the highlights of his life uh, leading up to the cross and then the resurrection to come. And so uh, just just a great thing to look at this time of the year. Um, I think it happens when uh, our kids are very little, two or three years old, and suddenly they act like the universe revolves around them, don't they? You know, bring me the food, uh, you know, get me whatever I want. And if they don't get it, they cry and they scream. And that's the terrible twos. And no one warned me about the threes being worse. And, you know, it's just the center of the universe is that child. And who can blame them? You've been staring at them, you know, forever, right? Since they were born, everybody stares at them and points at them and smiles at them. And suddenly now they act like they really are the Lord of the household. And, uh, it's not good. It's not good. It doesn't get much better because as they get older, they watch, uh, they watch Disney movies. And I've watched my share, and I love my share of Disney movies. But, you know, think about songs that have lines like this, if you recognize this one. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, I'm doing what I want. There's no rules for me. And our kids are singing this. And they're, some of them are believing this. Life revolves around me. And, so, and then they grow up and, and they believe that the goal in life is to, get, to have like self-fulfillment. To, to figure life out according to my rules and my ways. To be king of my own life. And so we, it doesn't take long to look at our culture and see, you know, you see... Um, recently I've read about rising divorce rates among older couples. They call it quits because their marriages are, quote-unquote, no longer satisfying. We see it in Planned Parenthood, defending the right to end a life because that life was unplanned or inconvenient for people. We see it uh, when the government tries to protect uh, an adolescent boy's right to be in a locker room with girls because he identifies as a girl. We see it all over, but it really, but it really ends up like this. And we see it in Christians too, when they insist that they have rights and, and that things need to be their way. And I don't see Jesus acting like that, insisting on his way all the time. It seems like he gets pushed around a lot. He did teach truth. What I want to do is I want to look at this thing called uh, self-fulfillment from the opposite angle that Jesus comes at it with. That is the command to die to self and what that means, what that looks like. So would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16, 21. 
Matthew 16:21. Matthew 16 is a pretty amazing chapter in and of itself. You've got Peter that has one of his highest moments. We, we referred to it last couple weeks ago. You know, so in, in Matthew 16:13, Jesus asked the question, "Who do people say the Son of Man is?" And, and, and so they're giving them answers. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. You're one of the prophets. What about you? What do you say? And Simon Peter's the one that answers, and he says, "You're the Christ. That means Messiah." That, 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 that centers Jesus in the Old Testament as the one who was promised to come and free his people. And, and you're the son of the living God. And then Jesus praises him. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And so there's this really awesome moment where, where Peter gives the right answer. And it is the right answer. And it's an amazing moment. And then Jesus says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And there's different explanations of that. Two weeks ago... Uh, I said, my best understanding is Peter's the part of the foundation of the apostles and prophets that the church is built on, and he's a rock at the bottom of that whole thing, at the start of it. Pretty good moment for Peter. And then you get verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. That's a Sanhedrin, by the way, the ruling body and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he'll reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So here's what's happening. I imagine Peter is on an emotional high. He's declared who Jesus is, and Jesus says, like, you're right. That is who I am, and I'm going to build my church, and nothing's going to stop it. The gates of hell can't prevail against this this new fellowship that I'm making called the church. And if you're Peter and you hear, like, I'm a rock in the in the church, and, and, and Jesus is the Messiah. He just said it. I just said it. He agreed with me, you know. He disagrees sometimes with me, but this time he agreed with me, and that's who he is. And you think of all that excitement and, and the church advancing, and your Messiah's here, and he's the Son of God. And then he starts by, Jesus starts again by bursting the bubble and saying, and so you know, I'm going to die. And all the religious leaders are going to organize against me, and they're going to cause me to suffer. They're going to kill me, and I'm going to rise again. And you can see the balloon pop. You can see Peter reacting to that. And what he does is he, he uh, takes Jesus aside, and he begins to rebuke him. And, and, and the wording here is, is very strong. This is, a, this is a strong rebuke Peter gives to Jesus. Like, like never, this will never happen to you. The Greek is, is very emphatic here. This will never happen to you. 
And so then Jesus turns to Peter and puts him in his place. No, no. Get behind me, Satan. And I, and I got to think that Jesus used the word Satan, and, and, and it goes back to Jesus' temptation. You remember that when, when Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth early on in Jesus' ministry and says, if you just bow down to me really, really quick here, bow down, I'll give you all this. Now, truthfully, we know Jesus is going to be given all of this. The, the earth is Jesus' inheritance. He's going to come and reign for a thousand years. That's going to happen. But not yet, and not without the cross. Satan wants to shortcut it, and Peter doesn't get it, and he just wants to forget it. That Kings don't die. You're supposed to rule. That's what you do. And so he gets called Satan because his words have a satanic attack, the will of Satan in them to, to avoid the cross. As an aside, I think sometimes people say things to us that's an attack from Satan because it, it, it presses on something that it's just really bad for us to even consider. It happens. But I'm going to go on. Um, and then Jesus says, you're a stumbling block to me. And, and i, I got to think if I'm Peter, this one really hurts. I mean, it's bad enough to be called Satan. But you're Simon Peter. Peter means rock. And now Jesus says you're the rock that's going to trip him up. You're the rock that's going to cause him to stumble. And it puts rock in a whole new perspective for Peter. Am I going to be the rock in the early church, or am I going to be the rock that trips up my Lord? And it shuts him up. And then, and then Jesus turns to everybody else and wants to teach them something from this, the other disciples. So this is for them. This is for you. This is for all of us. And he says, if you want to come after me, you take up your you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. What I want to do is I really had a hard time outlining this passage and thinking about it. I just had so many thoughts and I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn on the fire hose this morning, see if this works. I'm going to give you 10 ways to understand the denial of self. 10 ways to understand it. Uh, I can't take long on each of these, otherwise we'll be here a long time. But, but each of them is important. These are just things I've been reading, meditating, thinking, wrestling over some of these this week. I just want to throw them at you to see if we can understand that life is not about self-fulfillment. It's not about me being happy in life and, and feeling like everything's about me and I'm the center. It's not about that. It's actually about the denial of self. What does that mean? What's that look like? So here's, here's ten. Maybe some of these will be helpful. Number one. Uh, all of us have a choice. We can disown ourselves, or we can disown Jesus. The word denial here, when Jesus says, deny yourself, it's the same word for deny that's used for Peter later in his life. Remember, remember the scene when Jesus is being arrested and, and, and there's people gathering around and, hey, that guy's one of Jesus' disciples. And Peter says, I don't know the guy. He, he denies knowing Jesus, and really the word means disown. You know that. What's an ugly word? When you've been disowned by someone who loves you, or that you love, maybe I should put it that way, when you've been disowned by someone you love, that's one of the most heartbreaking things someone could go through. I don't know you. Please leave. I don't want anything to do with you. 
It's when you knock on the door and they open it and see you and close it again. Disown. And what Jesus is saying then is, we take our old self and we disown it. I don't know that old self. So, so let me be clear. You are, you are a new creation in Christ, right? If you're a Christian, Jesus is transforming you. He's remaking you. Uh, n- now you're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. But that old you is still hanging on. He's a traitor. She's against you. She still lives in there. He still lives in there. And you've got to disown that person that you were that's hanging on. I don't know you. I don't want you. What you want is against what God wants. I'm done with you. You disown it. It's done. It means many of the things in life that we insist on, our rights, our privileges, our way, it's just, it's just wrong. It's part of the old self. And we just got to let it go. I'm done doing life that way. I'm doing life this way now. It's disowning the old self, the sinful self. I always thought it was good, you know. Um, is it King James Version? I remember when I was a kid, you know, I went to a Baptist school, you know, King James Version Bible. And, and didn't, didn't it call it the old man? Wasn't that the, wasn't that the King James thing, the old man? And I thought, that's a really great way because I'm considering this really old, mean man living in me that wants me to sin, you know. <laughs> I don't know. It was really helpful for a kid to think there, there's a part of me that will lead me astray. And that part's really bad. I can't listen to that part. Okay, number two. Uh, your cross is the price God asked you to pay for following Jesus. Peter had to pay a price. He didn't know what it was yet. Later in Peter's life, Jesus says, there's coming a day when people are going to take you where you don't want to go. And, and Jesus said that to let Peter know, People are going to kill you for following me. People are going to take your life. Like Jesus warns Peter, and this you could say is the first warning right here. All of us have a cross that we have to bear. And if you want to know what that cross is, I, I, I could restate it like this. Your cross is the price God is asking you to pay to follow his son Jesus. It's a personal cross. It's your cross. It's not, it's not your annoying mother-in-law. She is not your cross to bear. It's not sickness. It's not disease. It's, it's, it's not a spouse that's always crabby and you have a hard time getting along with. It's not those things. It's, it's a price that you're willing to pay because you're a follower of Jesus. It's, it's the ridicule maybe you receive from other people for, for loving Jesus. It's, it's uh, for other people in other countries where, where there's less freedom. It, it, it's the price you pay of knowing that when you gather as a body, people could rush in with weapons and take your life. That's a cost. And so I know that our cost is a lot lower than other people's cost, but there is a cost to following Christ. Personally, I hate it when someone suggests that I'm not intelligent because I believe in a God that I've never seen. I hate that suggestion. Maybe you hate that. Maybe there's an argument against Christianity that just 
kind of just gets you. Bear it up. Take it. But whatever it is, it, it's related to the fact that you know Jesus. I was really, I was really thinking about this this week, and I was, here's my example that I was trying to figure out. I know Job lived before Jesus. I'd love for you to talk about this. You know, figure this out on your own. Satan was attacking Job. We know that. Job didn't know it was Satan. Is that carrying a cross? And I, I just kind of wrestled with that because on the one hand, suffering in general is suffering. Suffering is suffering. Suffering is not the cross. The cross, I, I, when I think of the cross, I think there's this cross structure in my way and I've got to pick it up and I've got to shoulder it. I have to pick it up. I, don't, I could say no. I could try to avoid it. But it's right there. Will I embrace it? Suffering, on the other hand, is, are, are things that happen to you. They happen to everyone in this fallen world. It's suffering. So while I don't think Job fits that category perfectly, I tend to think of the cross as something I've got to pick up and I've got to take. Because I believe Jesus. Thirdly, uh, picking up your cross is an act of submission to God's will. It is God's will for you to have a cross. God wants you to have a cross. And when you pick it up, when you say, I'll take it, I'll take the ridicule, I'll, I'll take my family disowning me because I got too radical in the Jesus stuff, you know. Uh, I'll take it. When you take that, you are submitting to God's will. Keep this in mind. To a first century uh, Roman or Jewish person, do you know why the Romans had you carry your own cross to the place of execution? You ever watch The Passion of the Christ and, and, and you see Jesus carrying his cross for a while till he can't do it anymore? And, and, and that scene where he's carrying it, it just seems to last forever. I don't know if you feel that way, but like when I'm watching it, I'm just like, when's it going to be done? Like, like how long does he have to carry this thing? How long is this movie, you know? And it just seems like he's carrying it and he falls and he's suffering. And he's trying to pick it back up and he's just straining under the weight of it. And I'm like, where's Simon? Where's the guy that's going to help him? I, I know it's coming. The Bible says there's a guy that's going to help him. Give him help. You know? You ever watch that and feel that? Um, here's why Romans did it. They made you carry your cross because it said... I'm a criminal, and I'm now bearing underneath. I'm, I'm now submitting to Roman rule. That's what it said. Rome is condemning me, and in fact, I'm submitting to the instrument that's going to kill me. I'm submitting to it and to their rule in my life. When you pick up your cross and carry it, you're saying, God, you rule my life. And you've put this cross in my path. I can't avoid it. Well, I, I could try to avoid it. I could try to step over it. I could try to back away from it. But you put it right here, and I'm going to pick it up. And I'm going to carry it. And if people think I'm, an, I'm crazy for this faith, I'm still going to carry it. And if my family disowns me, I'm still going to carry it. I'm still going to carry it. It's right here. And that's an act of submission to God's will. He's got a cross for you. Fourthly, uh, carrying your cross is a one-way trip. It's a one-way trip. 
People don't come back from carrying their cross unless they're resurrected. You don't come back for it. You go to the place of execution and your old self is killed. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah and, and fire and brimstone rains down and Lot and his wife are fleeing the city and Lot's wife looks back. One of those Sunday school stories that as a kid it just kind of freaks you out, you know. Lot's wife looks back to the city and she turns into a pillar of salt. And I've always thought to myself, there seems to be a longing that she had for the good old life. Even if it, as it was being destroyed, there was kind of that, oh, the good days in Sodom and Gomorrah. I know all Christians sin. And if you say you're without sin, you lie. The truth's not in you. But... I don't want to be the Christian that longs for the old life. Because when you pick up your cross, it's a one-way trip. You're going to the place of execution, and that old self is dead. I don't want to look back and say, oh, if I could only have that again. Do you do that? If only I could, one more time. No. That's not who I am. I'm moving on. This is a one-way trip to execution of the old self. Number five. Uh, you don't get closer to Jesus without first picking up your cross. Okay? You, you want to be close to Jesus? Um, you worship Him. You, you sing to Him. You read the Bible. You, you do these things to get closer to Jesus. But at some point, there's a cross in the way. And Jesus says, I want you to pick that thing up and follow me. And you're not going to get any closer to Jesus unless you pick it up. Paul calls this the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. You ever meet somebody that has the same issue that you have? You know, like maybe you're dealing with an illness, uh, something you take medication for. And then there's that day when you meet somebody and, and, and they're going through the same thing you're going through. And you're like, really? How is it for you? And, and they explain how they're dealing with their ailment. And you explain how you're dealing with, what, what medicine are you on? Here's what I'm on. And you, know, and, and you share the story. Or, or someone else, maybe you had a prodigal son or daughter, and you meet someone else that had a prodigal son or daughter that left the faith. And, and you just want to share the story. like you just Because you're, you're in this, and you're both believers, and you're in it. There is something about Jesus we can't understand unless we embrace the cross. Unless we pick it up and say, I will forgive my enemy even though he or she still keeps laying it on thick. I will forgive them. And it costs me. It costs me to let them off the hook. You know, forgiving enemies, that's not fun. You pick up the cross and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They're just obeying the sin nature. They're just obeying what comes naturally. They don't know what they're doing. You pick it up. And the only way you're going to get closer to Jesus is if you pick it up. In other words, your growth will be stunted otherwise. There's a fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, Paul talks about in Philippians, and he says, oh, I want to know Christ. And part of that is sharing in the suffering. That's also why I think Christians in some countries where the persecution is hot, probably know Jesus in some ways better than us because of what they've had to experience for his name. Number six, uh, how about this one? 
this is pretty American. I, I, had, I had to give a few ones that were very much like, oh man, this is who we are. You need to keep Jesus right in front of you. Okay? Peter was saying, Lord, this will never happen to you. You will not die. Kings don't die. Kings rule. Messiahs are supposed to free the people of Israel. I know how this goes. This is my will. And he was running ahead of Jesus and and the Father's will. You ever done that? Have you ever made a a, a spiritual plan and and you told people, God told me to do this, and and you kind of baptized your plan, and and then it it wasn't the plan at all? You totally got it wrong. Is it possible sometimes our emotions get so involved that we, we think something's God, but it's not? We haven't really discerned. We've just kind of gone with it? I think so. I think we've got to be careful. Now, I know the Holy Spirit lives in me, and he is super helpful in showing me what God's will is. He's, he's going to help you. But there are times when I've rushed, and I've ran ahead, and I've tried to baptize a plan and say, this is it. This is what God wants. I remember when, uh, when I was doing uh, the year of church planning and it didn't go well, and I kind of moved back into youth ministry, hard time of life. And I remember telling uh, other leaders in the church, like, I just, I just need to be doing this and this and this, and I had a list of ministry things I was supposed to be doing now. You know, like th- this, this church planning thing just ended, and, and in the next breath I said, I need to be preaching more on Sunday morning at my home church. I need to be doing these kind of things. And I had a whole list of things. And I remember one elder came to me and just said, you just need to heal. You just need to step back. You don't know what the Lord wants right now for you. Just wait. And that's exactly what I needed to hear. And, and I found that often when we do make a plan that's outside God's will, God often does send a person with a prophetic voice to say, wait a minute, I don't know if that's what he wants for you right now. Will you listen to that voice? Because God's speaking to them too. Don't baptize your plans and start running too fast. You also shouldn't move too slow, right? When God tells you to do something and, and, and you know it's the Lord and people say, yeah, I see that, you know, and the, and the scripture confirms it and then you drag your feet like Jonah. I don't want to go. You need to go. You need to go today. So some of you know you've been putting off a conversation. You've been putting off dealing with a sin. You've been putting something off way too long. And today's the day. There's no other day. Today's the day. Stop waiting. Stop dragging your feet behind Jesus. He's not there to drag you kicking and screaming into his will. You need to keep up. Because he's marching on. I don't know. Some of us move too fast. Some of us move too slow. Those that are wise keep Jesus right in front of them and they follow his lead. Number seven. Uh, we're going to move on from the, um, uh, from the denying and taking up your cross part. But Jesus says something really interesting about the soul. Uh, he says uh, in verse 26, What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? In verse 25, he says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will find it. And so I love this because, uh, number seven, I'd say, your soul is more valuable than everything else on earth. Part of you hear this message about denying self, not insisting on your way, living for other people, living for the Lord, and you're going to say, sounds like a boring life. It sounds like a life where I don't have very much fun, and, and you want me to give up all these old things that I like to do. And, and it's like, but 
Jesus really brings it down here to our level. How valuable is your soul? And Jesus argues, your soul is more valuable than everything else on earth. You could have everything on earth, and that's not as valuable as your soul. You could own the, 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 the beach house on the ocean in some other country and be a billionaire, and your soul is still more valuable than that. It's still more valuable than that. Now, keeping that in mind, by the way, uh, the word soul here, I think in some translations it says life. It really means your entire existence. It's everything about you. Heart, soul, mind, body. It's everything you are, your soul. Uh, NIV tries to keep it simple and say soul. Uh, Number eight, uh, it is perfectly spiritually logical to deny self. Okay? But to the rest of the world, you're going to look ridiculous. I mean, you've got to be able to, to live with that. Here's Jesus' logic. If your soul has huge value, more value than anything else on earth, if that's the value of your existence, your soul. Why in the world can he say that to save your soul you have to lose it? How is that fair? Like, like how, what kind of logic is this that says, if I lose my life, I'll save it, and if I try to save my life, I'll lose it? That makes no physical sense at all. That's not the way the world works, Right? Unless, and just see, see if you, you figure this out on your own, but this is how I work through it. If my soul, if my life is marked by sin, and sin makes me focus on myself as the king of my own little universe here, and if sin causes me to want to fix my life to really be all about me, completely self-absorbed, that will kill me. That will cause me to sin. That will land me in hell. That will separate me from God forever. If, if, I, if I try to save my own life, my own sinful life, that's going to kill me. It, it, it'd, be like, it'd be like if you had a cure for a, an exotic disease and instead you took medicine that would make it worse. Let's make it worse, you know? That's what being self-centered does. It makes everything worse. And Jesus says, you're going to have to kill the old you so that the new you can truly be saved. You'll be regenerated. You'll be a new you. So it makes perfect spiritual, logical sense to deny your old self because that self is killing you. It's killing you. And so if you lose your life, you end up saving it because Jesus wants to remake you. That's that's the logic here. You you can't fault Jesus. He explains it to us. For those that like logic, this makes sense. But to the rest of the world looking at you doing this, living for other people, giving your money away, um, helping people, not being self-centered, you're going to look crazy. Um, What do I want for my kids more than anything else? I want them to love Jesus. And, and getting the good job and having the nice house and having toys, that's all down there. I want him to love Jesus. I, I want him to be a person of character and integrity. How many people do you hear saying that in the world? I want my kid to have integrity. They could be poor and have integrity. You know, We don't say that because we have a different definition of success for the self. 
Jesus' definition is so much different. Number nine. Uh, I love this. Losing now means winning later. Okay? Uh, Peter is thinking, I want the glory now. I want Jesus to be um, put into place as king over Israel. I want him to throw off Roman rule. The glory happens now. I'm going to be a part of it. I'm one of the twelve. And Jesus reminds him at the end here, he says, uh, uh, verse 27, when the Son of Man is coming, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, then he'll reward each person according to what he has done. The glory's not now. The reward is not now. It's, it's to follow. And we've got to remind ourselves that when you hear preachers or Christians talk about your best life now, it's not true. This isn't your best life. Your best life is then to come. That's the reward. That's the glory. Jesus is coming with it. That's why we look to the sky because when we see him, everything will be made right and the people that have denied self will end up having it all. And the first part of having it all is having Jesus. Your glorious reward is coming. Sometimes heaven breaks through. I I totally get that. Sometimes heaven breaks through and, and, and you pray for healing and you're healed. Or someone's about to die and you pray and they're spared. Sometimes heaven breaks through and there's a glorious reward like right now. But a lot of the time, it's to come. It's to come when Jesus returns. So look to the sky. Um, and number 10. If I could summarize everything I've just said, and try to put it in a way that we can wrestle with maybe a little more, Um, I'd say it like this. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to go beyond believing in him to believing what he believed. Does that make sense? Um, When you got saved, you believed that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. I was six years old when I did that. It's a good day. I didn't know anything about picking up my own cross at that point. I didn't know about self-denial, you know. I I didn't know. I would have said, you know, even as a teenager, I would have said self-denial means uh, not getting that extra dessert at dinner. You know, that's self-denial, right? Or self-denial is uh, a really hard workout because you're you're in sports and and, and you're doing what's right. Um, I remember my dad saying, you know, his, his buddies would be smoking, you know, and they would offer him a cigarette, but he was a runner. He's like, if you're a runner, you don't smoke. That, that's just ridiculous, you know. <laughs> you, you deny yourself things because there's something else you're doing, right? But that's not the kind of self-denial Jesus is talking about here. He's saying your whole world, your whole orientation is different because it's not about you anymore. It's all about him. When you got saved, you believed that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that he rose from the dead. That's the gospel. As you mature in the faith, you are faced more and more with this reality. Do I just believe in Jesus or do I believe everything he believed about this life? Would would you say that Jesus lived the good life? Could you say that Jesus is the ideal human being? I remember in my theology professor saying that. Jesus is the ideal human being. And I thought, wow, that really is kind of uh, hard because... He didn't have a lot of the things we have. He didn't even have like a family. He didn't, 
He didn't have a place to lay his head. Do you believe what Jesus believed about this life? Not being all this cracked up to be. That's the question. If you think this sounds hard, if you think denying self is hard, uh, I want to leave you with this quote. I, I want to put a, you know, um, Eric chose worship today, and we're going to sing one more song. And did you notice, I, I'm not preaching on grace today, you know, but like so much of what, what um, the music that was chosen, yeah, it was Michael W. Smith, that's true. But it was also grace. I heard grace a lot this morning. Do you know that you cannot deny self without the grace of God working in you? That you may make the decision to follow Jesus, but God's grace is powerfully moving. I want to leave you with this quote. You know, um, you think about all that life offers. You think about you being king of your life and giving up all of that for Jesus. And some of you might think that's hard, but I think this quote is true. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Every single condition. Any cross you've asked to pick up, you can get to the point where you have such a sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit that you can pick up that cross and follow and not drag your feet and not blame people not get furious at your enemies and want to pay them back in kind, but just pick it up and follow. Boldly follow. Let's pray. Jesus, uh,